So underneath the shame is the desire for control, right? Because if I can figure out what I did or what was wrong with me, I could fix it and then I'll be safe. And the reality is uh, we do not always reap what we sow. And that's hard for peace, especially we want to quote scripture. But the reality is bad things can happen to good people. Hi, friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. This podcast is a spinoff of my blog, BrittanyAMoses.com, where I talk about the intersection of faith and mental health and how that applies to our everyday lives. You're listening to episode 12. I cannot wait to share today's episode with you. Today, we're really peeling back the layers on trauma and PTSD, and this is something that I've been wanting to talk about for some time now on the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. You know, if you've been following me on Instagram or social media in any form, I've been really leading up to this episode and asking you guys questions about what do you want to understand more about the dynamics of trauma and PTSD. And the amount of responses that I got really blew me away. And some of the things that you guys shared with me just really goes to show how tethered we are in the human experience and that these events being affected by trauma is more common than we realize, no matter how big or or small it is, it plays a role in shaping our experience biologically, physiologically, emotionally, psychologically, as we'll soon talk about. And so it's all significant. Even though it doesn't define us, it does play a role in our lives that often changes us. And who better to sit down and have this conversation with than my friend, Dr. Tama, who really specializes in this area when it comes to her work and research. Dr. Tema is a licensed psychologist, author, and professor at Pepperdine University and ordained elder at the AME Church. Her work has been featured on OWN, that's the Oprah Winfrey Network, CNN, BET, and Headline News. If you're not already acquainted with her on Twitter and and Instagram, look, you need to. And thank me later because you are going to want to pick up those gems of wisdom and insight she is dropping like on the regular about trauma and even just emotional and mental health. In this episode, we really are deconstructing what is trauma, right? What constitutes something being traumatic? What is PTSD? A lot of times we automatically associate PTSD with someone who's been in the military or a veteran when post-traumatic stress disorder can affect anyone who has been impacted by severe traumatic events or even just witnessing them, right? We talk about what are some of the symptoms of trauma that can play out in someone's life and relationships. How can we take on some coping mechanisms to practice when we may feel triggered in the moment. Needless to say, you're going to want to listen to this entire episode. So let's dive into understanding the dynamics of trauma and PTSD for recovery and healing with Dr. Tema. Okay, you guys, I am so excited for today's guest. I've been following her for a while and she just spreads so much healing wisdom online. What she's doing is amazing. And she's also right here in Southern California. So I got to drop by her office and meet her. And she's 
just as much, if not more amazing in person. I'm just so blessed right now. So I have Dr. Thema here with me. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here and to connect with your audience because (laughs) this is just beautiful. The work that you're doing, connecting the faith community and the mental health community because we are one and it's just about that holistic wellness. I that you just made my day (laughs) coming from you. Um, Thank you so much for being here and just the work that you're doing as well. Uh, I was doing a little research on your website about you because I'm like, who is this amazing woman spilling all this amazing knowledge? And so I went on your website and I was looking at some of your background work and I saw that you did some research in trauma. Is that right? Could you you tell us a little bit more about that and about yourself in general? Yes. So I'm Dr. Tama Bryant-Davis, and I'm a licensed psychologist. Uh, I'm a professor of psychology at Pepperdine University, and at Pepperdine, I direct the Culture and Trauma Research Lab. And so what we research is the cultural context of trauma recovery. And what that means for all of us have multiple cultures. So whether we talk about our race or ethnicity, talk about gender, migration status, our religion, disabilities, uh, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, which is just uh, the money we make and the level of our education. Right. All of those different things influence how we experience a trauma and the way we heal and recover from it. And so, you know, if we have a Christian lens, then how we think about healing from child abuse, there can be some nuance there versus someone who would say like they're not particularly spiritual or religious. And so in the lab, I look at different uh, cultural groups and their experiences with trauma. And so uh, some of the findings that I have are around coping strategies, Mm -hmm. because I think it's important to not just document the devastation, but how do we heal? Right. Uh, because we, and I include myself, I'm a survivor. Uh, we have some amazing testimonies. And because some people, when they hear that I'm a trauma psychologist, they say, oh, that must be so depressing. And I say, actually, it's not because people are pretty remarkable. Right. right? Resilient. Yes. And so the, the honor of bearing witness wow. to people's story and their growth uh, is really beautiful. So some of the coping strategies um, that have come up include the expressive arts. Love that. And so, right, I do too. I grew up as an artist and part of high school, I went to the Baltimore School for the Arts. And so for me, a big part of healing was dance. And now they have a whole theme of like embodied healing that mm. people talk about, or they do trauma-based yoga, or many of us in churches do liturgical dance. And so it's a part of reclaiming our bodies. That's amazing. Yeah, I love it. So dance, using poetry, music, or drama. Uh, A big one also for coping is what we call social support. So just having uh, community. Totally. Having people who can be with, whether those are family, friends, a pastor, uh, other members where I can uh, tell my truth to, that I don't have to dress it up. And that they're there with me when I'm in the valley, because not everybody, I would say, 
can walk you through the valley. So true. Some people, if you're down, they disappear because they just don't have the capacity emotionally Mm. or spiritually. But if you can have some people or even one person who can be that support to you, it's so healing. And then another one is our spirituality. Totally. Right. How we make sense of what we experienced, uh, given the reality of God. And that's a big one people have to wrestle with because this happened to me and yet we say God is good. So how do I that part. make sense of that? That's right? so real. Yeah. And letting people know we don't have to dress it up or some people say I'm not speaking to God, you know, because right. of what happened. Um, but that we don't just have to pray when it's nice and neat and it sounds like everybody else's, but speaking our truth, uh, including frustration or disappointment or grief. Uh, so we have spirituality and then one more I'll just mention, and that is activism. Mm. And so many of us get involved in trying to prevent it from happening to someone else. So one of the things I did, I'm a sexual assault survivor and in college I became a rape crisis counselor. Mm. So it's a beautiful gift to be able to give back and to reach back for others. And I would just add to that. It's not a substitute to working on ourselves. Right. So some of us jump into ministry. So and important. And have done no self-reflection. So once we have worked through some things, then it's a beautiful gift to then show up and try to help other people. Wow. Out the gate. This is going to be an amazing episode already. Oh, so much wisdom that I love everything you're saying, especially about just turning it around right you know turning around that kind of that joseph experience right right you turn it around yes. and you bless others and that's that's the that's the i feel like the beauty that comes out of all of the mess absolutely that's it's amazing it's beautiful and one of the the phrases i use with uh, clients is the trauma affects us but it doesn't define us mm. right so it's like with joseph you saw the impact of enslavement and incarceration and family betrayal, you know, that all he would of it. have to run out of the room because he was crying. You know, he had all, he was carrying those wounds, but there were also gifts to him. You know, he had the gift right. of dream interpretation. He had the gift of leadership and generosity. Right. And so your trauma, our traumas are an important part that deserves space um, and acknowledgement. And also it's not right. the sum total of who we are. That is huge. Yeah. And it's I sometimes we look at these even these Bible stories, and we just kind of read them as far as what's ha- what has happened and mm-hmm. what God did. But even thinking about the human aspect of Joseph went through trauma. Right, absolutely. Like, that's just re- reframing it that oh. way and just bringing that whole dynamic and right. color to that's what right. God did with these people that we just really look to in right. Scripture. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what led you into trauma? Because that can seem like a very intense field. And for me, it's something that I'm wanting to specialize in more myself. So I'm have to come to you back to you with some (laughs) insights and questions. Um, So what what Mm -hmm. led you to dive right in to this complex? Sure. So I would say. Um, as with many others, it's both my individual history and collective history. And so um, as a college student, I went to Duke University in North Carolina. And one summer uh, break, I went home to Baltimore, which is where I'm from. And I was sexually assaulted. Mm. And I was assaulted by a member of our church. So I grew up with my dad being a pastor. Um, So you have all of those layers in it of like trust, 
You know, you talk about someone you think you can trust. Wow. This is someone who had seen me growing up and all of that. Um, and so my own narrative, but then collective experience, I said, uh, you know, I grew up in Baltimore. So for those who have seen The Wire, <laughs> it's a very real depiction for parts of Baltimore. Uh, so there's a lot of community violence. Mm. And uh, seeing uh, those experiences, having loved ones and friends at school um, who experienced multiple uh, aspects of community violence or gun violence. Right. And then uh, my dad went from being a pastor to a bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and his first assignment was overseas. So we moved to Liberia, West Africa, Wow! which for the first year was amazing, right? It like healed me, empowered me because you know, when, when I'm growing up, this is pre-Obama. So when people would say you can be anything you want to be, like we didn't really see that. Right. And so to go somewhere where everyone in a position of authority looked like me was very liberating. Wow. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. very empowering to say, you know, the the head of the bank, the principal, the, like any government official is your reflection. So it really like as a teenager uh, broadens your picture of who you are. And I would also say uh, dismantling beauty myths. Because in America, mm, right, right. you know, you're not celebrated if you're brown or if you have African features or natural hair or if you're more than a size two. And so when I got there and people were like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> what she's, is your name? She's gorgeous, right, right. which she is gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> but it so it, it was uh, really healing and amazing oh, I'm for sure. me. And then the painful part is the second year there, a civil war started brewing and broke out. Wow. So seeing, and, and we were, you know, dealing with that issue of privilege. We were evacuated because we're American citizens. Uh, and so, but, you know, many people were not. So, you know, having that with privilege, I always say to people, instead of just being stuck in like guilt of I feel so bad, it's it comes with responsibility, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. with the opportunity that I had to be rescued... It comes with a responsibility. What are you going to do with this life that you have? Right. And so uh, all of those things, I would say Baltimore, Liberia, and then my own violation put me on the path of wanting to work with trauma survivors. There's so many dynamics yeah. here. And we, like you were just saying to me earlier, we are so dynamic. We have mm -hmm. all of these layers and how all of them, just the total sum, yes. come together for what exactly like what we're called to do mm -hmm. and that's such a beautiful thing yeah so we're talking about trauma which also overlaps with ptsd mm -hmm. trauma can seem like such a big uh word yeah. right and and very all-encompassing different levels of trauma mm -hmm. you know we've all been through different levels yeah. what would you define as trauma mm -hmm. just as kind of a basic operant definition sure. to work with yeah so there is uh daily stress and then there's traumatic stress so a trauma is an event that overwhelms your normal capacity to cope Right. Right. So you can it can come with a sense of hopelessness or an intense fear, um, a sense of horror or terror. So, you know, we all have like daily hassles um, that we figure out how to juggle or manage and say like, oh, I'm so stressed out. But then there are these events that mm -hmm. happen uh, that disrupt uh, your sense of yourself, that uh, kind of dismantle your ability to function. 
uh, that change you. Right. Right. And so those um, events, we usually think about, um, and I give some examples. Yes. As uh, sexual assault, uh, war, intimate partner violence, uh, child abuse, a natural disaster. Uh, there's also medical traumas that if right. you experience certain diagnosis or certain procedures, uh, that some people have a very traumatizing miscarriage, for example. Um, and so either the, the procedure is so invasive or what you're exposed to, what you see during those events can be very traumatizing. Uh, and then another one, which often is not acknowledged in the traditional psychology literature, is what we call societal trauma mm. um, or oppression. Right. Right. So that racism can be traumatizing. Sexism can be traumatizing. So as opposed to like just an individual event, which people call it microaggressions, that it accumulates. Right. That those experiences over time and connected to that is something called historical trauma or intergenerational trauma. Generational trauma. So if you are a descendant of the Holocaust, if you are the descendant of the transatlantic slave trade, a descendant of the Armenian genocide, um, that you carry that both directly and indirectly, that you're the way your parents raise you was uh, affected by those historical events. And also they've done a neurological test to show that like we passed down, like there is a transmission of trauma uh, in our uh, very physiology. And so being uh, mindful of all those different aspects of trauma. Break that down. <laughs> yes, thank you. Because it's it's so real. And a lot of people that I know, in, including myself, who are descendants of this, mm-hmm. you know, people who haven't lived that experience or might not be like, well, it's not happening now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, but you don't understand, like, this is interwoven into the culture. Yes. And it does pass down and it, and it does affect. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot to do with the experience that you're living in. So That's I'm right. so glad. Amen. Broke that down yes. so well. <laughs> so what are some symptoms of trauma that could play out in someone's life, like physically, Mentally, especially mm-hmm. relationally and romantically. Yeah. Oh, my. Like, it really comes out in those romantic relationships as well. Right. When definitely. you're close to someone. So, uh, so you know, one of the ways is with uh, something called post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And I do want to say um, with the traumas, it not only do you uh, might you be the target or the recipient, um, but if you witness a trauma, let's say you witness a shooting or afterwards you saw the uh, dead body in the street like that can be a trauma. Absolutely. Um, and what they have uh, recently added to the diagnostic manual is with vicarious trauma. So even if you weren't there, but you're very close to the person who it happened to, mm. it can show up for you. Um, and then I should also mention along with that is traumatic grief. You know, so if you have a loved one who died suddenly or violently, that can be traumatizing. Absolutely. So um, with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, some of the major um, symptoms of it, one is avoidance. And so, you know, it makes sense. Yet you try to stay away from things that would remind you of it, uh, which we traditionally call triggers. Um, some people don't like triggers because it that word kind of goes with guns. So oh. uh, some have called it awakenings, but yeah. the tr- more more the term that's used the most is a trigger. Right. So those reminders. So um, if something happened bad in a particular neighborhood, then you try to avoid driving in that neighborhood. Uh, when we talk about relationships and trust, 
If the person who violated you had a certain facial feature, then you try to avoid people like that because it may be triggering. Even a cologne or perfume can be a trigger if someone was abusive and they smelled a particular way. When you smell that, it can take you back to that place. So avoidance is one. Another one is hypervigilance. So being super guarded and not being able to trust and always waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Um, and then a third one is intrusive thoughts. So when you don't want to think about it, you think about it anyway. Um, and all of those things starting to um, make it difficult for you to function, right? Right. And they are going on for an extended amount of time. Um, other symptoms can include depression, which I you know, want to say for the record is more serious than sadness. Um, because sometimes if we've never been depressed, we try to give people advice based on our sadness and it can be very insensitive. You know, so people may say things like, well, you just need to brush it off or go for a walk or, you know, things that help you when you're sad. Um, but depression right. is deeper. Um, people might also have thoughts of uh, suicide. Um, some people turn to addiction. So trying to medicate the pain with drugs and alcohol. Um, another uh, symptom can be panic or anxiety. Uh, so feeling that fear. And in the piece you mentioned with relationships, uh, distrust. And so it being hard uh, to trust others and also to trust ourselves because sometimes like you didn't see it coming or you wish you had responded in a different way. Right. So you can have shame and self-blame and uh, a, a big one also for those who experience sexual violence is difficulties with intimacy. Because then in moments of intimacy, even when it's consensual, it may be with your spouse, you love this person, but you have that association, that physical memory of the violation that can make it hard to stay present. So that's actually a, a large number of clients I work with about that aspect of the healing is so important. Yeah, and, and just how it plays out in so many different ways, depending on what the trauma was and that not everybody's looks alike, right. I think, is what you're highlighting so well. Mm -hmm. And I think even for me, what I've seen, like, especially with children, yeah. it can be translated as a behavioral issue. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, it's, it's a behavioral problem right. when really it's a symptom of underlying trauma. Absolutely. And that's the part that needs yeah. to be So what healed. often we miss with kids is, you know, we'll call it conduct disorder or in our community, they would just say they're bad. Right. right? That's so true. Yeah. Why is this yeah. kid so bad? Or a big one that it that becomes the cover is attention problems because right. it affect, it makes it hard to focus or concentrate. But if uh, the therapist has not assessed for trauma, then they just see it as an attention problem. Uh, so really looking underneath the behavior to see what's actually happening. And for us to check ourselves, I'll say within church communities and also mm -hmm. mental health professionals, that usually we're sympathetic towards a depressed presenting person. Right. But some people are angry, right? And we don't have a lot of compassion or patience for people who are irritable or angry. Yeah. Because um, we take it personally. When it's really not about us. And yeah. so being aware that um, either by their family rules or by their culture, some people have not been given the permission to show up in their sadness or their grief. And so it just shows up with all of that armor and uh, like angry and argumentative. Mm -hmm. But if we can try to extend compassion and see that as a symptom, 
because there was a wound underneath there. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so important. And I, and I love it because I feel like this conversation is even going to help people learn how to show up differently yes. in some of those relationships, mm-hmm. um, that it's so easy to just take it face value right. and invert it. Yeah. So speaking on some of those physical symptoms, uh, a lot of and, – and the intrusiveness of it, right? right? The panic attacks especially. Uh, something that some of our listeners were wanting to know are some coping mechanisms that can help the body and mind feel safe when – I was going to say triggered, but awakened. Yes. When awakened <laughs> leading up to being awakened or, or after right. experiencing that. Absolutely. Uh, so one of them, which is really important – uh, is actual safety. So some of us um, are continuing to be traumatized by being around our trigger, right? Right. So for example, you know, if you had abusive people in your family and you're now an adult, but you live with them, right? Yeah. So it's very different for me as a therapist to work with a survivor who is still in the situation Because that's more trying to cope versus heal. Like I cannot heal while I'm still consumed. I can't heal in the environment that made me sick is making me. Yeah. 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 So uh, being clear, are there any steps that I can take uh, to reduce my exposure to uh, people who are harmful to my mental health? Right. And that's a challenging one. I'll say, especially in faith communities. Because we often put pressure on people for what I would call uh, premature forgiveness or mm. um, distorted forgiveness. So um, it's very important to separate forgiveness from reconciliation. Yeah, You can forgive someone who's not sorry, but there is no reconciliation with someone who is not repentant. Right. right? Because right. we're asking people to turn the page, but that other person is continuing the behavior, Exactly. right? So that's one of the things. And then identifying what your uh, triggers are. So some things you can anticipate, right? That I know I get stressed out if I have to speak in public or um, it like certain things that remind me or when I, we talked about intimacy. So yeah. uh, it, it you will feel less powerless when I make the connection. As opposed to like, this is just random, right? Mm -hmm. But often there is some rhyme or reason to it. So identifying the source of the triggers and then giving yourself, um, I'll say first is self-compassion. Because when we judge ourselves so harshly, um, then we make it worse. It's like I'm right. panicking and I'm mad at myself for panicking. Right? Yeah, so now it's a, I have this double... shame cycle. Yes, yeah. Yes. So as opposed to like, oh, I feel that panic coming. It's okay. Right. Right. I just I accept that, and you know, and I know why. Right? Yeah. So that patience and compassion, so I don't intensify it with the judgment, um, and then. Uh, Taking deep breath, because often, and I know as a mm-hmm. trauma survivor myself, that when we're in panic, we hold our breath. And so that uh, makes things worse as well. So becoming really tuned in and aware of your breath, uh, sometimes going to a restroom and putting water on your face or drinking some water uh, can be helpful. Uh, for many of us, meditation or like a silent prayer, and it doesn't have to be something complicated. Like, 
one phrase or one sentence, right? God help me. That anchor. Right. That anchoring right. sentence. Yes. God yes. help me. That's it. You got me. You got me. You got me. God, you look. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so that helps us if you can identify like an ally in the room yeah. who's a safe person that you can just kind of catch your eyes with. Then it feels like, you know, I'm not by myself. Right. right. Um, or if I am being able to like text like that resource person um, can be helpful for and just in terms of soothing or calming. Um, it's great if you have like a theme song. Mm. Put your theme song on or if you're in a public uh, situation, you can just kind of start saying the lyrics in your head yeah. to yeah. calm yourself. And um, uh, some of our interventions, we have something called change the channel. So oh. sometimes in our minds, we're replaying events. Yeah. And so I have to intentionally shift my focus to like, oh, now I'm at the beach. Yeah. <laughs> right. Here I am you know, on the beach. Even if I can't physically step out. I'm going to give myself a mental break. Right. Yeah. That's that's so good. So something that I saw you tweet about, mm -hmm. shifting the script of self-shame and self-blame, which we've kind of touched on a little bit. And so I was hoping you could talk more about that because, you know, you go through these traumatic experiences and you automatically invert them onto yourself as something was wrong with you or what did you do maybe to deserve it or why weren't you worthy enough of being protected in those situations? And there's so much inversion of shame and when it's 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 not your fault correct right yes and it just continues this cycle mm -hmm. and so i would love to explore that some sure. more underneath the shame is the desire for control right right because if i can figure out what i did or what was wrong with me i could fix it and then i'll be safe Right. Uh, which is also why we have a lot of the victim blaming in society, mm -hmm. because if people can believe, well, that only happened to you because you had on that skirt and I don't wear those skirts. So it won't happen to me. Right. So we find ways to blame people as a way of trying to uh, solidify our defenses. Right. Right. And the reality is uh, we do not always reap what we sow. Right. And that's hard for peace, but we want to quote scripture. Mm -hmm. But the reality is bad things can happen to good people. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That you can be minding your business. You could be a six year old playing with some dolls and a perpetrator show up. That's the and, hard truth. Right. Yeah. That is the reality. Instead of us trying to decode what we did, it is really almost a surrender to the powerlessness over other people's behavior that um, they chose. Why did why did they do that to me? Because they chose to, right? Right. To put it back right. on uh, the abuser or perpetrator. It's not something wrong with me. It is. It is their agency. It is them. And then in terms of why people didn't protect us, that is also out of their own brokenness. And likely have never healed their stuff and never had anybody so true. to protect them. So true. And so, uh, you know, not having any voice for it. So um, what we can do to kind of uh, check in with ourselves is how much of my script that I'm telling myself is in alignment with either those who harmed me or those who did not intervene. Because if I'm telling myself the same thing the abuser told me, something is off, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Because they would like for you to believe that it is your fault. 
they would like you to believe that you're responsible. And they may have even said that, right? Directly as or their own As their own justification yes, for their behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I am never going to be in agreement about myself with those who try to destroy me and break my spirit. Amen. Right? Preach. <laughs> yes. For those who have experienced traumatic health issues Mm -hmm. or, for example, a miscarriage where your body just gave out and there was this expectation and you were out of control of what happened with your own health, you know, and where there wasn't necessarily a perpetrator, but having this other version of self-shame as to what was wrong with me that I I experienced these health issues, this diagnosis, this failure of my own body. Yes. The reality is... Our bodies um, can go through illness and even death uh, that is not a response to God being mad at us, God not loving us, uh, the fruit of our behavior. Um, When we can challenge that, and, uh, and a simple way to do it is to look at people who have been uh, serial killers. Right. And who live a long life. That's true. Right. Because if we're going to say that that your behavior is the reason why, you know, and I've heard people say, oh, if uh, um, I heard a person say that someone in their family died from cancer because of unforgiveness. Are you kidding? Oh, gosh. Like, I've heard ter- things like that. It's a that. terrible thing. Right. And it's an untrue thing. Life is not that black are, and white. Right. How are you uh, explaining all the people who haven't forgiven who live to 100? Right. It's right. just not accurate. It doesn't add and up. And yeah. it is, again, you know, the desire for control. Because like, if I can either repent or if I can, you know, make God happy right. or if I can serve in my church, then my health will all line up. And so that right. has been a part of this um, prosperity gospel. It's just another mm-hmm. version of that, mm-hmm. that either if I love God, I'll be wealthy or if God loves me, I'll never be depressed. And the truth is, you can be the apple of God's eye and uh, be sick. You can be the apple of you. God loves you, loves you, loves you. And you love God and you're a faithful person. And you can still uh, struggle with uh, mental illness uh, because we have to uh, resist this lie that wealthy people are God's favorite. Right. Yeah. It's just not accurate. Yeah. And in every circumstance and every condition and even those who need like chapter and verse, even we have the example in the Bible of Jesus saying this person's sickness is not because anybody sinned. Right. So yep. it it when he it healed the blind says, man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's that's so good. Mm-hmm. And just having more conversation about the two coexisting because for some reason there's this idea that it's all mutually exclusive, Mm -hmm. like faith and and having it mental illness or struggling with mental health, which is very much a health issue with all these dynamics that you colored before between upbringing and background and genetics and all of these things that play a role. And that's something that that's something that we're trying to deconstruct on the mm-hmm. podcast. Oh, so you are in line with oh, my mission. Excellent. excellent. <laughs> so switching over to those maybe on the other side who have a loved one or a friend who is struggling with recovering from trauma or PTSD, uh, 
what is the best way to be there for and support loved ones who are living with PTSD or recovering from trauma? Yes. So I would say uh, words of affirmation that are followed by the action of sacred presence. Mm. And sacred presence is important, more important than words, because often we're trying to figure out the right thing to say, and we're going to try to measure that by did it make the person feel better. And when people have had a major life event, one verse or one sentence is not just going to patch it up. And so when we do that, it either makes people angry or irritated or they shut down because they recognize they can't be honest with you because you want them to look on the bright side. And you don't or, get it. Right. Right. Like Absolutely. you don't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> you know. Right. So when people are devastated, yeah. you know, to to express um, our say our sadness, grief, compassion that they have had to face this. And um, to not let our loss of words keep us away. Yeah. Because especially when we brought up the issue of like miscarriage, a lot of times people don't know what to say. So like they say nothing and they don't show up. And um, I had a good friend who, when she went through a miscarriage, she said, do you know, Tama, there's not even a greeting card for it. Right. You know, it's right. like there, it's a major event and many people had so common. It. So and common. So, you know, so we end up being distant. And so I would say showing up, being present and giving people the permission to be where they are instead of them having to pretend to be okay to make us feel better. Right. Yeah. Um, and then asking people if there are ways that you can be helpful. So for some people, it may be like bringing over something to eat. It might just be sitting there with them. Uh, some people may need some space, but then checking in from time to time. So totally. not crowding them, but just saying, I'm still here whenever you're ready. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Circling back actually to what you said, even offering to be that safe person, like you said, if there's a safe person in the vicinity who you can make eye contact Mm -hmm. with to just anchor yourself, like being that person. And I'm now speaking from personal experience. Mm -hmm. Some of us are like super high functioning. So you might not even to the rest of the world might not even be able to tell when something's wrong. Mm -hmm. But having that friend and being that friend who's just like, do you want to talk about this? Or like, how can I be there for you? I mean, I remember one time uh, recently after a passing of, of, of a friend that was very like sorrowful, you yeah. know, it was just, she just texted me and was just like, hey, do you want to talk about it? Are you okay? And my first response was, I'm fine. Like that was my first. Right. And then I would stop and I was like, no, actually, I think I do need mm-hmm. someone right now. I yes. do, do you think I need? And as soon as she called, I was bawling my eyes out, right? It was just like, it was all there, you know? It's like that piece that was going around social media, check on your strong friends. Check on your strong and high-functioning friends, please. Because one of the effects I didn't mention is busyness. Some of us cope by perfection. And, you know, the person who volunteers for every church committee, they're always doing a million things. But sometimes it's because being still is too painful. Yes. And so not assuming that only if people are falling apart, that those are the people who need me. Right. But if I just know the facts of the situation, 
that's enough. Or even I know a piece of it. Right. That's enough for me to show up and offer. And I would also just say encouraging people to get counseling. And sometimes the way people will hear that is you think something is wrong with them. And so if you have ever gone yourself, that helps to take the stigma off to say, you know, when I went through a hard time, I went and saw a counselor and it was really helpful. So you might just want to consider it. Right. Right. Um, because it's it's a lot. Especially when we're talking about traumas, these are big events. Very layered. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned recommending help. I was yeah. just watching an episode on Black Women Own yes. on the Oprah channel. Yeah. They were talking about therapy. Right. You need to be on there. <laughs> I want to see you right. on there talking about this. I can yeah. see it. But um, one of the women, she had experienced a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how, again, that cultural dynamic mm-hmm. of raising and upbringing Therapy just wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. And she just kept going about her life. She went to the hospital, I think, and someone just mentioned, I think it would be helpful to you to to Mm -hmm. helpful for you to go to therapy. Her first response was like, I don't know about that. But then she was like, you know what? I think I do need the help. And Mm -hmm. she did. And she got that healing. Yes. Just even if you know the facts of the situation, some of the facts Mm -hmm. of the situation, which could be life crisis events just naturally that's enough to check in on a person Mm -hmm. which is really good so lastly i would just love if you have any further resources you'd recommend or advice you'd give to someone wanting to start this journey of recovery from trauma absolutely what would you what might you have to share yes uh so one of the publishing companies that has a lot of um, workbooks, so it's good to not only read, but like interactive, right. uh, is New Harbinger Press, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R. And the workbooks are broken down by trauma because we have talked about like all different events. And so some themes are overarching and some themes are specific. Right. Um, so I would encourage looking uh, for a workbook on their site. Um, I have a book called Thriving in the Wake of Trauma, a multicultural guide. Wonderful. Um, and each chapter has like exercises you can do at the end of the chapter. I love it. And that. I'll just say, because I know a large part of your community is the faith community. I don't want them to be thrown off. When you see the book, a part of the group that I talk about experiencing societal trauma is the LGBT community. And so some faith people get nervous about that. But, but yeah, no one <laughs> should be violated and everybody should be safe. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So uh, Thriving in the Wake of Trauma. And then I have another one called uh, Tweets for the Soul. That's an ebook. So if you order that on Amazon, you'll get it immediately. Are those like all of your tweets in a book? Yes, they are. That is amazing. It's a couple years ago, but it's like from that section of time. Wow. This is like a new day and age. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And I will share all of those in the show notes as well. Excellent. Um, I cannot wait to look at look at some more of your work. I wish I could. I wish we could talk forever. Can I I just say so much? I feel like I could. I mean, even aside from all this, she's just a wonderful person to meet and to be around. And she's such a light. Like you said, in spite of such a hard topic, Mm -hmm. you just remain so like such a hope. And Thank I think you. that's a beautiful thing. I'm I appreciate so appreciative it. of this conversation. Oh, excellent. And I want, you know, the survivors who are listening to know yeah. that it can get better. It really, really can get better. That, you know, you may be in a difficult spot right now, but there is life beyond this moment. And so you can continue to write the next chapter of your life. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
we will end on that. All That's right. beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for tuning in. Until next time. <laughs>